right, guys. So we're ready for episode three of the Racial Draft Podcast. Uh, we are sponsored on my end by uh, Grapefruit Vodka, Vodka and Grapefruit Juice. Uh, brought to you on my end by Grandma's Old Whiskey and Coke. And Nathan? Just plain old water. Plain old H2O. That is, a, that is on brand for Nathan. <laughs> oh, Nathan. So, um, everybody, uh, this is Michael Ford, the regular host. This is everybody, Marquis. This is the, uh, I guess we'll call you the somewhat co-host. <laughs> and, uh, and our guest host today is Nathan McCarter. Nathan, tell everybody what they need to know about you. Just a southeastern Ohio multiracial nerd. That's that's pretty much all people need to know. Wow, you kept it really simple. <laughs> and uh, for those that want to know, uh, Nathan's going to be one of our, uh, at the moment, our only, but one of our captains of the multiracial team, which stealthily, the multiracial team has, has the most power in the racial draft. They have the ability to pull from any number of backgrounds to compose a multiracial character. I assume we follow a one-drop rule, so that makes sense that they'd be the most powerful using that sort of criteria. Yeah. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Rule counts in this regard. I think the one-drop <laughs> would, would, would favor would favor people like us. No, no. The multiracial group just gets to you know say this person is multiracial, and they get to determine what configuration of multiracial. And uh, what uh, what mixing of of groups can go into the multiracial? Um, I don't know if you feel comfortable, Nathan, uh, disclosing what flavor of multiracial you are, but feel free. Oh yeah, I'm just. I, I guess for for America, I am the base level half black, half white. <laughs> you know, you you yeah. know, not not too crazy here. Black and model biracial. <laughs> you know. Um, American American standard. Absolutely. Um, that's cool. You know, I mean, just so you know, within the confines of your drafting, your drafting cohort, you get people like Vin Diesel, um, The Rock, obviously. Um, some of our multi uh, Tiger Woods is is a <laughs> very strong representatives. Okay. Former number one pick and has fallen <laughs> off in recent years. His draft stock has plummeted. Right, but I mean, as of right now, The Rock would be everybody's number one multiracial draft pick. So, well, also just to point out, also all black by Southern racial standards. <laughs> oh, the, the, with the Rock. For those of us from the South, all, all of these people are just black. <laughs> well, so this this draft is already confusing me. <laughs> I, I ran into that issue uh, as a freshman in college. Um, a buddy of mine, he was asking about, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm biracial. And then he's like, no, you're just black. Right. I was like, oh, <laughs> never thought. Where'd you go to college again, Nathan? A small university in Southeastern Ohio called Shawnee State University. Okay. Cool, cool. No, for a second, I thought you were going to say that you went to school in like Florida or something. Um, no, no. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a free-flowing thing. You know, we're just talking about, like, I, I gave you the spiel about, about the racial draft, and 
you know, I, I haven't quite gotten your perspective on the concept of race bending kind of overall um, and how you feel about it. So this is your opportunity to either make a friend or an enemy for life. So uh, no pressure. <laughs> uh, it doesn't bother me. Uh, I, I think there are probably, you know, certain characters just in my own head that I traditionally think of one way, but nothing I'm tied to, especially just as the more you think about it. I think the initial, whenever you hear about it initially and you're so tied to a character in a certain way, you might, you know, clutch your pearls at first. But just as you think about it and where we are as a society, you become more accustomed to thinking outside the box and how things can change just from where these characters were developed and created at, you know, in a time where this wouldn't even be, you know, conceptualized to where we are now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one thing that comes up a lot when people talk about um, demographics is that they say that, you know, multiracial is, is you know, they're, they're going to be more multiracial people as time progresses. And that makes me think about all these stories that we see, like sci-fi or comic book stories that are set in the future. Like, why isn't the dominant uh, racial group, if you would even call it that, you know, multi, like, why aren't most people multiracial in the future? If it's, especially if it's supposed to be like some utopian future. And from a casting perspective, it just doesn't make too much sense to hold on to one character being a particular race because it's not like there's going to be an influx of new characters. I mean, there will always be new characters, but you're always going to have these staples that we've had for decades now. Those are always going to be around and not opening yourself up to casting them outside of their original race doesn't really make that much sense. Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, I get, I mean, this is something that we talked about on an earlier episode. I don't know why someone would feel if you were, say, Russian, you know, and you felt that a character's Russianness was a big part of their identity or that aspect of their identity be lost. It, I can understand feeling um, an ownership over a character in that way. But if we're just talking about uh, broadly speaking, you know, being white, uh, it, you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to explain it to me. You're gonna have to sell it a little bit more as to why why that character more so than other white character is 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 more entitled to. Well, can I can I stipulate two things on this? Can can we stipulate for purposes of the podcast one that James Bond is a superhero? Um, sure. I don't know if we're gonna be drafting James Bond. <laughs> All right. Well, just for purposes of this premise or whatever. Bond does have a film out right now, so you. I've never seen a single James Bond film. Never. Well, you're missing out, Nathan. That's a whole different discussion on how you had such an empty childhood. <laughs> um, but my my other point is, I actually have zero interest in seeing a black James Bond. I don't actually need to see Idris Elba be James Bond. So, so I'm I'm actually. I, I get this, but I actually am totally fine with some characters maintaining a, a particular ethnic identity. So, so I kind of understand where you're coming from, but I, I want to do a hard sell on, of Idris Elba as James Bond before I give you an opportunity to expound on your point of view. 
I think more, I think that was more of an endorsement of Idris Elba embodying the characteristics that they, that people traditionally associate with James Bond and wanting, you know, and feeling like he in particular was someone that a lot of, was, was, a, was one of the first black British people that someone could legitimately see as James, James Bond. You know, so it was more about Idris Elba specifically than the idea that James Bond needs to be black, you know, as a broad concept. Yeah, but the general concept seems to be that James Bond needs to be something other than a white male. I mean, that's why we're floating female Bond and we're floating black Bond and we're doing all this other stuff or whatever. But this particular character, I'm totally fine if he just stays European white male. I, I have no issues with that whatsoever. Um, the one thing, I, if I can interject here, the one thing I would say is, from, just from my understanding, is James Bond is a member of, like, it's a, it's a group, so I don't know why you couldn't do 006 and have that be your Jane Bond or you know, 009 and that be your Black Bond. So I don't know why. Well, you could told. To... I mean, they've done. They've certainly done that, right? Historically in the franchise. I mean, there's. So there, there definitely have been double O operatives of different gender, double O operatives of different race. Um, but it's not a Bond movie unless it's 007. I think it's. So great. that's where the argument's going to be. I don't think most people probably don't have a problem with 006 or 009 being black or female. I doubt that's an issue. Right. I agree. I think in the upcoming movie that would have come out this this. Uh, Spring, but for coronavirus, we were going to see a black woman be a 007 that was not James Bond. Um, but you know, that remains to be seen how it will play out. But I think that I think what it is is that James Bond himself, the fictional character, has so many um, characteristics of suaveness and debonairness, and like he's an archetype. And I guess the idea that nobody but a white man can embody that archetype is someone something that people want to uh, somewhat collapse the the boundaries on. Not to say that not to say that um, uh, the priority is to make James Bond not white. But if there's a candidate out there who could fit the role, <clears throat> that candidate shouldn't be ruled out. If if that candidate happens to be non-white or I mean I can I definitely see the argument for why the concept of Jane Bond is a little bit off center unless and on you know with one caveat if we're talking about a gay character you know like if we're talking about a uh, bisexual uh, or queer woman who's just out there the way that James Bond would be out there with all types of uh, people um, sure. I mean, I, I suppose I suppose that still allows that character to be, to embody what we would traditionally think that James Bond would be. Can I rebut a little? I know Nathan hasn't seen these, so I won't I won't belabor this point. But actually, Mike, <laughs> as a fan of the series from movie one to movie now, who's seen every single one of them, James mm -hmm. Bond is a misogynist thug. He's not the things that you are describing. He's a person who's constantly failing, constantly getting women killed, constantly abusing women, getting them murdered. He's an awful character. And if you look back at a lot of the earlier movies, a very sort of blatantly racist character existing in a blatantly racist world. I actually just don't even see the need 
to even place a black person in that space as some sort of achievement or whatever. He's actually not that great a guy from my perspective. Go back and watch Dr. No, the movies start racist and they stay racist. Uh, I, I, and I love these movies. Look, I did, I did at this point, you know, a decade ago, and I was like, whoa, this is, this is way out of pocket, you know, but obviously in the modern, like if we're, if we're let's say uh, from Pierce Brosnan forward in James Bond lore, I think they've done an interesting job of interrogating what the different, what the bond of the novels and the bond of the 60s and 70s were as compared to trying to make Bond relevant to today. And I think that, I think that there's probably an easier pathway to making Bond relevant to today as a man of color than making him relevant today, today as a white man. So, so Nathan, are you a Doctor Who fan? No, haven't seen a single episode. Okay, Nathan, you're going to be hard to work with on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've only seen some of the new Doctor Who. Eventually, I'm going to, going to binge it during my uh, time of Corona. Um, it's worth a top because I, I would also stipulate that that is a superhero. Yeah. And they're doing sort of exactly what we're talking about with Bond with that character. So it would definitely be interesting to hear you guys take on that down the line. I have a take on it. Um, it may be sort of a hot take, maybe too hot for episode three. So maybe down the line. But, you know, with Doctor Who, with the doctor, as it were, you know, they, they made the doctor a woman, but not, but still white. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how those intersections work out. Um, you know, like I, like I had said on other podcasts, being that it's the racial draft podcast more so than the gender draft. Um, those, you know, the issues that come to mind when you gender flip a character are a lot, um, you know, we as three men on a podcast are probably not as qualified to talk about the things that would, 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 create more depth oh that intersectionality is going to get you every time like exactly. every time but um to that end so my new top choice to play james bond actually is henry golden um have you seen crazy rich asians Absolutely. i have seen i've seen it i don't know who that guy is though oh he's the lead he's the male lead in crazy rich asians oh the like handsome sort of super nice handsome perfect guy and he also is British. Nathan, have you seen that movie? Crazy Rich Asians, yes. I also watched him in the Christmas movie with uh, the actress who played uh, Daenerys on Game of Thrones, whose name is escaping me right now. Yeah, why is it bothering? It's, it's escaping me as well. Um, that's what Google's for. Um, and hopefully... I will. Well, I mean, you spend a decade calling her Khaleesi instead of her. <laughs> I want to say it's Elizabeth something or other. Um, Elizabeth, that sounds totally wrong. Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark. Here we go. I knew it was an E word. <laughs> I feel like 1,000 people just downvoted this podcast <laughs> for not knowing that. Yeah, probably. So that, that's awful podcasting, probably. Listen, that's why we have to do the podcast. Nerd credentials revoked. I have not seen that movie. I will watch it. But I had a take, and I don't want that take to be true. Um, so it's one of the things that keep me from watching it. He was also in the, the... Are you fans of Guy Ritchie movies? 
Um, yeah, I've seen most of them. He was not the, fans of any recent ones. Well, he's seen the gentleman yet. He was in the gentleman. Um, he was he was a uh, villain, in fact, in the gentleman, um, which is weird because I don't know. I think the qualities that Henry Golding bring to the table, uh, one of the the top ones is likability, and it was interesting seeing him play a villain. And I'm not 100% sold on whether he should play villains here on out. Yeah, I remember I really enjoyed Crazy Rich Asians. I'm not ashamed to admit I was bawling by the end of that movie. It was mm -hmm. amazing. It hit all the right romantic comedy beats. Well, I don't remember thinking he was the reason why I loved it. Well, I was crying, uh, um, you know, because I'm apparently that kind of sap. But I, I thought he hit the right beats for the kind of lead you want. In but they were generic beats, right? Like... Like I, it wasn't like a Daniel Craig Layer Cake performance where if you watch Layer Cake, you can be like, "Oh, that guy could be Bond." Right, but was well, no, listen. Have you seen Road to Perdition? I love Road to Perdition. Absolutely, yeah, great yeah. movie. Road to Perdition. You know, like yeah, if like, but the thing about what what's being asked of someone playing Bond most of the time, and what a really good actor is being asked to do. You know, the Venn diagram doesn't overlap that much. So, yeah, he was always overqualified for the position. I mean, we're seeing it in Knives Out. Like, he's just doing things in that role that he never got to do as Bond. You saw Knives Out, right, Nathan? Yes, yes. All right. Um, All right, uh, Consensus, right? Knives Out, great movie. Consensus. Great. It's good. It's good. Oh, oh that's all. That's old, Nathan. Nathan. Here <laughs> for yeah, I mean, Knives Out. It made my top ten of last year. It snuck in there at number eight. Okay. There we right. It was in my top ten as well. I don't. Am I? I don't think I've created a top ten. I'll have to. I'll have to get back to you guys. I highly suggest Letterbox. <laughs> we love we'll do. Um, and transitioning to Letterbox. So we've all seen the Birds of Prey movie? Yes. No. Oh, I thought you uh, would have seen it. So I don't live by a movie theater anymore, Mike, but um, it's on, I can buy it for 20 bucks now, right? Exactly. That's why I was hoping that you had seen it in the interim when it was made available for streaming. Um, if it makes you feel better, I have no concerns about Birds of Prey spoilers. And I have seen some of the critiques of Birds of Prey. So there are a few things I'm aware of about it. Well, I was mainly bringing it up because it's relevant to the whole racial drafting aspect in the idea that the Black Canary is um, Black as far as how the movie portrays her. But I believe Journey Smollett is biracial. Um, don't quote me on that. I may have to look that up. Um, which, in, in terms of, this is one of the things that the drafting for the, for the multiracial team you know, gives you a little bit of, of leeway, so to speak. That's right, yeah. So Journey Smollett's father is Jewish and her mother is African-American. So... Uh, is she related to the infamous Jesse Smollett or is this a different Smollett? No, no, they're brother and sister. Okay. Yeah, they're brother and sister. Okay. Um, but I thought she did a great job. Um, unfortunately, she has dealt with a little bit of crap for not being the what the comic book wants, wants her to look like. Is this a skin tone issue or is there something else going on here? 
It's a skin tone. I mean, that's the thing about these blonde characters. You know, between blondes and redheads, the you know, I I personally think it's an it's an illustration thing, um, because it started from a perspective that these were going to be white women. You know, you color these women with the bright yellow hair or the bright red hair, and before you know it, uh, there are a ton of blondes and a ton of redheads in comic books. And then later, if they decide that they want to race bend these characters, one of the first things that happens is people are like, no, she needs to have brightly colored canary yellow hair. That's her, she's the black canary, and it's because her hair is canary yellow. And you know, of course, someone could be like, well, she's also the black canary. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I thought she did a good job in her role. I thought the movie could have given her a little bit more to do. And I hope that you know she gets future roles. But I mean, that's an example of where um, you could potentially have a, an actress or a, a portrayal even in the comics where she is overtly multiracial and still have blonde hair to knock out at least that one aspect of the criticism. I guess part of what I'm wondering, Mike, and not to not to rebut my own argument about James Bond should stay European, Scottish, or whatever he is, but should we care about canon at all anymore? Like looking at what's happened to Star Wars, like really this generation, these people who think that a comic should be the same thing that it was in 1972 or whatever, should we still care about that segment of internet society at all at this point? So, right, shouldn't the so, creators just move forward with what they want to move forward with? So, I think there's always going to be this rabid internet culture that's complaining about something. So, I think that um, I think that canon's important for the most part in terms of what has happened to those characters and what has made that character grow over time. But I don't necessarily think, and again, this is one of the reasons why I thought about this concept for the draft of, you know, I don't think in every case a character's racial background is important to how that character has developed over time. And in fact, I think that if you can, um, I think that there are ways to create more layers for that character by changing their race. You know, I think that, um, so one of the things that not too many people... So you've seen Watchmen, right? Yeah, of course. The series or the movie? Well, I've seen both. But. Yeah. The movie slash comic or whatever. So the Black Canary was based on... Um, sorry, not the Black Canary. The, the character um, Silk... Spectre. Spectre was based on the Black Canary. Um, she is also a second-generation uh, superhero whose mother was a superhero also named Black Canary. So... Back when DC made, um, when when the guy started, when Alan Moore wrote um, Watchmen, he wanted to use DC characters, and then he had to change them, which is why they're they they have those characters that are closely affiliated. So there's an argument for the original Black Canary being a white woman with blonde hair, and the Black Canary second character because she's later in time and maybe a little bit rougher around the edges. And um, she's frequently, I mean, in the comics, she's frequently paired with the Green Arrow. And she is often 
kind of the the foil for him and his privilege. You know, that that's a character that probably should be white because he means well and he's super liberal, but sometimes he goes far, you know, off of where he needs to be and has to kind of be reined in by someone who's a little bit closer to the people that he's trying to help from his ivory tower. You know, so I think that there's an argument for uh, a the Black Canary 2, the younger Black Canary, being a woman of color that can rein in this well-meaning, rich white guy that's tr- saying all the right things and trying to do all the right things, but maybe a little bit uh, too misguided because of his privilege. You know, to me that to me that is an example of taking the canon, taking the established canon, and uh, marrying it with a more progressive, more modern take on what these characters should mean in the present day. Well, I mean, I think what the series did in that context was incredible. Oh yeah, you know, the way they took the context of the original comic and flipped those storylines on its head was one of the most amazing creative processes I feel like I've ever seen. Yeah, Nathan, you right? show. Or era? No, no, Watchmen. Watchmen. Oh yes. Yeah, you know we talked a we talked a little bit about Watchmen when we did our uh, our first podcast. But um, feel free to chime in with your thoughts about Watchmen in terms of how it um, dealt with race. Yeah, I thought it was an accept an exceptional show by all regards, and I think that's reflected in the critical acclaim it received. And I mean, I mean, we've seen the reports come out already of how uh, in Oklahoma they're teaching that history now, just based off the show bringing it to, bringing it to light. Oh wow! So, I, didn't, I didn't I didn't hear that. Yeah, that's I, I, I believe it's Oklahoma. Could be Texas, but somewhere in there. Oklahoma is definitely where it happened. So yes, it was the Tulsa riots, but they one of the two states is implementing it into the public education system, and so. I mean, it was it was incredible work. Like I actually nothing. I'm shocked when something ends up being that good. To be honest with you, I'm actually yeah. I actually was sort of stunned by it. Yeah. And like, just just having that impact speaks to the level of work that it was. Yeah, and you know, again, that goes to the idea that you know you have your canon, but just because you have your canon doesn't mean that you can't tweak it in, in ways that the original creator didn't even anticipate and make for a more meaningful and more poignant text that resonates for people now. I guess what I, what I want to do, Mike, is refine my point a little bit. I guess, um, I guess what I'm really essentially saying is I don't need to see a Black James Bond, but I also don't care if they do. And I'm just wondering if we should give so much power to the people who are obsessed with this. Right? Is that a voice that that people should stress about? If you want to make a black bond and that's your creative vision, mm-hmm. should we care so much about whatever the peanut gallery is on the internet that's always going to have a problem with something like that? Like I, I I don't need to see a black bond, but it's totally fine if they do that. Yeah. Well, my argument is always that if like like I said, if you have Idris Elba, who for a lot of people is you know what was he like the the sexiest man alive for 2019 or what have you you know like if you have someone who women would throw themselves at the way that someone would throw themselves at James Bond then why not 
cast an actor who who embodies that that energy. I I wouldn't cast a black guy just to say, "Hey, we found a black guy who's British, James Bond." You know, I th what I again what I was saying before. If you have someone in mind, especially when we're talking about casting, I think I think there's an argument for casting race agnostic in a lot of cases. I think that if you did, you know, in, if we're just operating in like a comic world or in a novel world, and they're just saying, all right, so now we're just gonna make James Bond black. I think that there you have more of a storytelling responsibility to make it make sense and to make it, you know, a more interesting story because you know you're going to get a backlash. So if you know you're gonna get a backlash, you have to rise to the occasion of that backlash. Um, but again, I agree that, and, and sometimes it gets criticized under the, the rubric of changing race for changing race is fake. Um, I, I don't mind that people want to expand their, their horizons from a, a creative standpoint and an imagination standpoint. Like if there are British, like, uh, what's his name? Um, John Boyega, right? Like if John Boyega wanted to, as a little boy, have a James Bond that he could look up to that was black or the, whatever, the next John Boyega, like who am I to say, no, 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 can't have it. Gotta be a white guy, you know? Um, I would just hope that when they find someone who's not a white guy who can be James Bond, he embodies um, the qualities that people who like James Bond would want. You know, because I think if they choose that opportunity to decide, now this is when we really shit on Bond. This is when we really break him down and talk about how he's like a terrible human being. Then I would imagine that a lot of black people would be like, oh, now? Now's the time? <laughs> like, now, now is when we, we uh, critique James Bond. Yeah, he's a truly shit human being, dude. He's, a, he's an awful person who's just left a trail of bodies across, what, 50 years of cinema. It's crazy stuff. He really has. I mean, he has. I agree with that. But, but I do. I, th I think there are some characters where, um, and I think I, I don't know. I don't know if you heard the last podcast. You probably didn't. So the Hawkeye character in Marvel, right? So the last. So the so the so the guy Sean who was on the last episode was like he's white, and he was like, yeah, I gotta I gotta get Hawkeye to be white because nobody fucks up as much as Hawkeye fucks up and still has people on his side, you know, like he has to be a white guy to get that many opportunities to fail. And, and I was like, yeah, you make a good point. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I think that there's, I think that when you have that kind of critique of a character, like there's definitely a way that you could uh, make James Bond be forever more a white guy, but then you may have to, really explain how rooted his character is in be it misogyny, be it in imperialism, be it in, um, you know, um, ethnocentrism. If you're, if you're going to critique the character from that perspective, then it's, then it's okay to, to sort of plant your flag in James Bond as emblematic white man of the uh, British Empire. But if what you want to tell is a story about how the UK and England 
is moving forward in 21st century, then if you're trying to make James Bond into a sympathetic figure, then, then there's no reason that the sympathetic James Bond that you're trying to evolve him into in 21st century has to be a white man. And there's a strong argument for him not being a white man in that respect. Yeah, I get that. I just, I get Will Smith wild, 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 wild west vibes from the whole thing. <laughs> like, like sometimes these, these changes just, just don't work unless the story is there. No, that's no, why no, Watchmen is the miracle that is. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, say, your, say your point, Nathan. I just wanted to I just wanted to say Wild Bull West was fantastic. So. <laughs> Why is Nathan trolling me? <laughs> Are you counting the song? You- <laughs> One of the all-time great great bad movies. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm glad you made that distinction, Nathan. You're you're killing my soul over here. <laughs> if, you, if you watch that movie and don't enjoy yourself. There's something wrong with you because it is ridiculous. It, I certainly recall it being an unbelievable experience. <laughs> Speaking of Will Smith, you guys remember the movie uh, Hancock? Oh, yeah. Terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. I actually think Hancock's pretty good. I don't know what's going <laughs> on with me and Nathan tonight, Mike. <laughs> I thought Hancock was sort of ahead of his time for a superhero movie. 100%. So I only found out um, a few years back, that Hancock was inspired by Superman 3. I did not know that. My new fact of the day. Yeah, so you know how in Superman 3, he's, uh, you know, Superman gets infected by the synthetic kryptonite with the nicotine or whatever, and he kind of turns into a dirt bag. You know, that's, that, that's the big twist that happens. He gets, Superman becomes a dick. He's going around, he blows out the Olympic flame. He's just, you know, no longer helping uh, grandmothers across the street and uh, kittens out of trees. He's just, you know, sitting at the bar, drinking, growing out his five o'clock shadow, just being an ass. Like, so someone saw that and was like, that would be an awesome movie. And that was the impetus for, for Hancock. And, you know, Will Smith did a great job in the role. And like you said, I thought it was ahead of its time. He was essentially playing black superman but like so wait i gotta follow up on this so nathan do you sincerely not like hancock i'll say this i have not watched this since opening weekend and i did not enjoy myself at all wait were you like eight when the movie came out (laughs) well that came out in 2008 somewhere there oh is it that recent i thought it was even older than that that might be right Hancock came out in 2002. Yeah, 2008. So, really interesting. Well, I just feel like it, it doesn't follow sort of traditional superhero or hero modes, and that's part of what makes it sort of interesting. Oh, it, it certainly does not do that. And that was part of the big draw going into it that made me excited. And it's one of those, it could be one of those things where I say this all the time about film expectation plays a huge role in your satisfaction. So I like to go watch a movie several times. And like I said, I haven't seen that since opening weekend. So maybe my perspective would change now mm-hmm. with the time. But you know, going into that opening weekend, the trailers were awesome. It's, it's a Will Smith-led movie. And I was just supremely let down. 
Yeah, I was, I'm still disappointed they didn't make a sequel. They flirted with that for a long time, I feel. It was reasonably successful, I thought. So I'm surprised that hasn't happened. Yeah, well, I think what happened is that everybody involved in the movie became a bigger deal. Well, we made $624 million worldwide. It was a big deal. It was a successful movie. I know they, they flirted with a sequel. That's more than a lot of DC. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's more than a lot of DC Cinematic Universe. That's like Justice League numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very close to Justice. It's like more, than, more money than Ant-Man made. Oh, and adjust for inflation, Mike, and it's over. It crushes Justice League. Very, wow. Yeah, they really need to, they need to figure out, well, like I was saying, you know, it has Will Smith, Charlize Theron, Jason Bateman, like that's that's hard to get everybody back. Um, okay, so so now totally sort of related, unrelated. I have a totally reductionist comment just to get your you guys' take on it. Nathan, are you a Fast and Furious guy? You watch that series? I watched the series for the first time probably six months ago. Now I, I had seen Fast and Furious the first one, and I think maybe the second one, and then I stopped because it just was not for me. But last they're awful movie, movies. They're, they're, but last they're, year before Hobbs and Shaw, I watched the entire s- series. Oh, and then you saw Hobbs and Shaw? Yes. So that was sort of where I wanted to go with it. There's a scene where Idris Elba does the whole I am black Superman thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's playing a villain. So I'm just trying to figure out what, what should I take from that on a deeper level? And I suppose the answer is nothing, right? He's just trying to say I'm a black guy with superpowers. There's actually nothing deeper because it's a Fast and Furious movie. Or is there something more complex going on there because of the Bond thing? I think it's. I don't think anything about that series is complex. <laughs> I, right. think meta. I think it's meta because it's Idris Elba. And I think there's a little bit of the Bond thing. I think there's a little bit of the fact that he was in Marvel movies and, you know, somewhat old, underutilized in those movies. And I think it's basically like I'm the superhero, in, but I'm a villain. You know, I'm I'm the guy who has legit superpowers in this universe where for years we joked about how it was guys in cars with superpowers, but I'm the superhero. And, you know, listen, if we're going by Fast and the Furious rules, whenever they make a Hobbs and Shaw sequel, uh, Idris Elba will be on the side of the heroes because there's the face turn for all the villains in the previous movies. So I'm looking forward to Black Superman being on our side for once. But just to follow up on the Thor thing, I don't know much about what is Thor, Norse mythology or whatever, but Thor's kingdom is like the most diverse place ever. Like his whole team is diverse. Has anyone, do people complain about that? I don't know what goes on on these Reddit boards, but that can't be the history. People lost their shit when Idris Elba was cast as him. Huh, did not know that. They were like, this is, uh, political correctness. He is clearly supposed to be a white man. This is based on Norse mythology. Then, you know, uh, Norwegian people. Like, what is this crap? Um, but again, people like Idris Elba. So, so wait, same thing with Tessa Thompson? Um, less so, because I guess by that time, um, you know, people were kind of used to it. And um, by the time it's, I mean, so yeah, the Valkyrie, the Valkyrie character is not anybody's Dave, um, well, some on the internet somewhere, there's someone who's a Valkyrie stan, but they did an int- they did an interesting enough job of keeping the door open to where 
the character that Tessa Thompson was playing may not actually be the same Valkyrie that there that's in the comics, whose whose uh, given name is Brunhilde. Is it maybe Brunhilda? I don't know. I don't know how the accents go or whatever. Um, and in fact, there was some speculation because that character is uh, gay in the comics that the woman that Valkyrie had a relationship with or something with who died in her arms during that uh, flashback sequence was, was Brunhilde or whatever. Um, but it has never been confirmed one way or the other. So she's a weird character because on, she gets it from one end because people are mad that they race bent her. But she also gets it from another end because people feel like she was insufficiently gay um, to be playing a character who was very gay. Um, but in general, people like Tessa Thompson, so they're just happy that she gets to be in a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you know, I got this, this is one of the upsides when you do a race bend with a casting. If it's an actor that people like, all, all people need to do is see that actor in the role and they sort of go, ah, all right, I'll, we'll, 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 we'll let it, we'll let it go. You know, like th th there, there will be some critics, but the majority of people will be just happy that that character has been being portrayed in a light that makes them interesting and charismatic and fun and they want to see that character again. Well, in terms of race and sexuality, the most progressive of this DC Marvel stuff is the Arrowverse, right? Oh, for sure. Like Arrow without without a doubt, right? Yeah. Um, nothing, but my only thought about that is that that's a much younger generation, essentially. So I wonder what it means for the future of all this stuff. Well, and I also think one of, like, one of the things with television as opposed to movies is the, the upside of how much money you're going to make when you do a TV show versus a movie is very, very limited. You know, like every, every little bit you'll hear about how some Disney movie will give like lip service to the idea, one line of dialogue, the idea that there's a gay character. And then a month later, you'll hear about all the countries that have either banned the movie or censored the movie because of that one line. You know, you- well, well, I will say this, just to follow up on the DC universe and the television shows, I do admire sort of how progressive Arrow is as a show. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm watching Flash, which I admit I'm only three or so seasons into, so I don't know if they do a better job with this later, it always confused me on Flash that what you have is an adopted white child into a black family. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of one time in three seasons that the word race ever came up on the Flash. Yeah, it's a very confusing show to me, given how progressive they are on Arrow. So, in fact, this year on Flash, they actually have a black showrunner. Oh, okay. Um, they've never had one before. Um, so. But Berlanti does is the same guy who's doing Black Lightning, right? Well, is that the same guy behind all of this stuff? So he's the he's the super producer. He's the super producer behind it all, but he's not the showrunner on any of those shows. So there is a black showrunner. There used to be two black showrunners on Black Lightning, husband and wife, but they had some marital problems. So now I think it's just the woman who's the showrunner. But you know the fact that there are black people 
leading the writer's room on Black Lightning is why the show is like so blackly black, you know. Um, it's also, unlike the other Hourverse shows, it's filmed in Atlanta rather than Vancouver. So they have more black people to pull in as, extra, as extras and the like. It was just always strange to me about Flash. Like there are so many sort of blatantly racial storylines that are completely ignored. He's okay. living this sort of innocent love story storyline with his foster sister or whatever she is and her dad and none of the issues there have anything to do with race i guess because they're in canada where everybody's happy i suppose one thing that that's a character being race right so the wests in the comics are not black okay um so the whole um even the foster sibling thing that's a cwism that was not something that's been in the comics um it's they really sort of started from a perspective of we're going to take these characters that were white in the books and make them black. And I would imagine that that's part of why it's been hard to write around or write into these racial aspects because they're, they weren't present in the text and they just, you know, to, to use the internet parlance, didn't have the range to... Wait, so, so why do you think they, they racially bent that then? Well, I think, in the first place, if they didn't want to deal with those issues. I think that they wanted the CW-level diversity of saying, like, we have this multiracial cast. You know, I think um, Jesse L. Martin is an incredible actor. Oh, yeah, of course. Right, so... Love that dude. Yeah, and, and, you know, if we're doing, like, dad rankings in the, you know, Berlanti Arrowverse, like, he's probably the number one dad in the, you know, across all the shows. Like, so it's, it's the thing that we like, black fans like to talk about how it's like, you know, we're seeing black fatherhood, you know, every week on Flash where he's being a black dad to eat to his white son. Um, like, so even though it's not being um, present, even though race isn't being presented in an overt way, the fact that you're having this black man be the father to, I guess at this point, uh, 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 two children? <laughs> I mean, three children. Right, right. I mean, but, um, and also Wally West, it, there's, there was a whole thing with Wally West in the comics where f- for a long time, he was a white guy with red hair. Then when DC did their recent reboot in the early 2000s, they reimagined him as a biracial um, as a biracial Wally West. But then they, a few years later, they undid that and they said, actually, there are two Wally Wests. One is black and one is the old Wally West from, you know, DC does weird stuff with alternate universes. But, you know, I think that there was the idea that they were trying to uh, diversify with race bending, but they didn't bring in the writers who could really flesh out the racial aspects. And it's funny, um, Candace Patton, the actress that plays Mm -hmm. Iris West, Mm -hmm. talked about how certain things were ad-libbed by her and um, Jesse L. Martin, and they ended up keeping just as Black actors rather than things that the writers themselves put in. Huh, I actually don't know her background. I always assumed she was biracial, but I actually don't know her background at all. I also don't know her full background. Um, I don't think he's talked about any white 
parents, but you know, I don't know too much about her. Um, what about you, uh, Nathan? Do you know anything about Candace Patton? No, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I know she talks about being a black woman, so it could just be that she's, uh, you know, that that's how she identifies. But um, well, th there's a high level of complexity there for me because, you know, as a Southern black person, we adopt all people into blackness. Yes. Right. I mean, there's no black person in the South who thinks of Barack Obama as a biracial person. But obviously he is, and there's a high level of complexity there. Sure. But they, they vote for him because they think of him as a black male. Mm -hmm. All right. Same thing with Halle Berry, right? Oh, yeah. Right? She's completely 100% fully adopted into full blackness. I don't think anyone, and which, is, which is unfortunate for her because it means that people aren't really seeing the full complexity of her identity. Right. And that's but you also get the sense from her movies that she's also embraced that. So I don't know. And that's the thing, you know, if we're going to bring it back to the racial draft, um, that, that would be as, you know, as the leader of the multiracial team, that would be something that you'd have to think about when you think about a character being reimagined uh, as multiracial. Yeah, Nathan, how are you going to handle that? We have characters that identify with both uh, backgrounds equally. Um, or are maybe not accepted by one over another. Like I have a friend who, um, you know, she's she's uh, half white, half Korean, and her family does look at her differently. Um, maybe not fully uh, accept her into her Korean her Korean family. I mean, that's a story that could be told with a fictional character that. Um, would that a lot of people would, would would probably resonate it would resonate with a lot of people rather you know um there there's a lot there um in terms of the different permutations of what it means to be uh racially identified either the way you self identify and the way other people identify you um it looks like i don't know for a fact um so Candace Patton's from Jackson Mississippi um she grew up in Texas and she went to SMU uh, I don't know. I couldn't find any information about. Well, just from SMU alone, she gets 100% black status. So it's fine. <laughs> she's adopted. She's in. We we draft her. Yeah, and you know, I mean, the rumor is that she's uh, currently dating J.R. Smith. Oh, well, she can't date anybody blacker than J.R. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, identity confirmed. I should have led with that. I should have. Yes. <laughs> you buried the lead, Mike. <laughs> So, um, Nathan, do you watch those uh, those Arrowverse shows that we were referencing, or or is that not in your wheelhouse? I watched maybe the first four or so seasons of Arrow, and I watched probably three or four, whatever the final season of Flash was that had the uh, the guy in the chair. I'm not too familiar with uh, oh, yeah, the Flash. I think that was season four. Yeah, and and I I mean season one of the Flash I thought was spectacular all the way through season two i thought was just as good if not better and then it took a nosedive swiftly starting in season three but i've, I've heard from a lot of people that arrow and flash kind of after they, they dipped they went back up but i just haven't had it in me to go back and binge all of the episodes honestly nathan until quarantine no one could keep up with all those shows 
<laughs> I tried. I mean, the, I, <laughs> no one. I would say the big knock was that they, you know, Arrow was used to spin spin off the Flash, and then I think the Flash was used to spin off the other shows, Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow, and I think that both shows took a dip because they both took characters that had been established on those shows uh, off the out of the cast, and then also took time that would have been better devoted to um, creating a good show with either of those shows and tried to launch the spinoff shows. And I think that having their own, having time to get back to focusing on the characters, integrating new characters in these, in these shows themselves have led to them bouncing back. But by that time they had lost viewers. And then, you know, unfortunately with CW, one thing that happens a lot is you get the, the sort of fandom fights um, I don't know how, I mean, you're not, not a big internet player like I am, Marky, so you don't know how. <laughs> I've been in a red, Reddit sub, subreddit every now and then. Yeah, so CW fandom fights can get really bad um, because they tie into like shipping, um, you know, one character, those characters. Can I just tell you that my wife had no idea what shipping was until I explained it to her about two months ago. It blew her mind. Whoa! She'd never heard the term. She didn't believe it was real. Wow. Total non sequitur, but I mean, I guess a sequitur, but yeah, she didn't believe the term was real. Yeah, so She's, like I've known about shipping. I've been on the internet because I used to watch Lost, and Lost was a big shipping show. Um, uh, see, I I, I go back even even further with that, which to ER. Ah, that is way back. There was shipping on ER. Oh yeah. The, With uh, Greg Clooney and Juliana Margulies? Uh, a little bit after that, between uh, Dr. Carter and Abby and Luca. And oh. It was I mean, Carby. I used to love, love ER, yeah. Yeah, Carby and I, was it maybe Luby, something something like that. And it, just terrible names. Yeah. But there was fighting between those two on old school message boards. Of which one was the better couple? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure I wasn't on the internet when ER was on air. So I already know you're more tech savvy than me, Nathan. <laughs> oh, when yeah, when I was watching Lost, there was the big Jack and Kate shippers, and then the Kate and Sawyer shippers, and they used to go, you know, they used to kind of go crazy. And you know, obviously there was Buffy; they had their shipping, and I think at some point the CW learned that if you can get the shippers into your show, you, you know, you'll get a certain hardcore fan base and every show from that point on had some level of shipping and some level of like hardcore ship wars. And I think with, with comics, it gets interesting because you already have these, going back to what we're talking about with canon, you already have these canon relationships that, that people feel like, well, obviously, Clark Kent's going to end up with Lois Lane. Right. Why are we even playing this game? You know, but then there are people like, but you see in this scene, he clearly held Chloe's hand and he looked lovingly into her eyes. So who cares what your canon says? And, you know, and it, and it goes. Well, well, just to follow up on these CW shows, Mike, so Supergirl, like uh -huh. they, they actually have race bent a lot of characters on these shows now that I think about it. So, What's the guy, Joey Olsen, Superman's friend, best friend or whatever, who's the su super handsome black dude, no? James, sorry. Yeah. 
James Olsen used to be Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm awful at this. But they race meant that, but I don't feel the same sort of need for race to be addressed there that I sometimes feel on the flesh. So here's the funny thing about that character. So he was race bent, but he wasn't just race bent. They turned a character that was kind of like a kind of geeky, um, nerdy guy into a hunk to make And him. a superhero eventually. Yes, but I was I was you know I was gonna sort of lead there. It's cause oh, okay. he sort of starts out as this like it, because it's Supergirl and not Superman, they make him into the love interest in the beginning of, of the beginning. Um, and a lot of people weren't really into it. They they thought she had more chemistry with the like nerdy white guy that was on the show. Um, and but you know they they did their thing. They did their. It wasn't on CW on CBS at the time, but they still sort of adhered to the same the same principles. But when the show moved to CW, they brought in a new character who, in fact, um, Melissa ben, ben, Benoist has actually married in real life um, to be her love interest. And over time, that James slash Jimmy character started getting kind of further and further pushed away from the main storylines. That's when they gave him that superhero persona to kind of give him something to do. And, you know, as it happens, he's now moved on and is no longer on the show. Oh, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. I got to do more research before I come on the show. Like, that's probably going to happen a lot on this podcast. But what I'm saying, <laughs> that's an example of where, you know, there are people still who feel like he got a raw deal in, in, with respect to the shipping because there were people who didn't feel comfortable with their blonde-haired heroine um, having a black man as as her love interest. Okay, well, let me say this. Back to Flash a little bit, as long as we're talking about all the, the weird things that go on with Flash. And I know, since, I don't know what Nathan's opinion on this is, but, so Barry, what's the name of Candace's character on, on the Flash? He's basically, huh? Right, right. So he's in love with his foster sister. Am I the only person who thinks that those two people have the least amount of chemistry of any two people I've ever seen on any show ever? Like, there were lots of things I love about The Flash. I never found anything believable about them having an attraction to each other at all. You know, I'm not good at, I'm not good at, honestly, when it comes to chemistry, because some people say that they have, so in general, like, people will, will point to a couple that they do ship, and they'll find a scene or they'll find a clip where it looks like it works. And then they'll, and then the people who are anti the ship will find a scene and find a clip where it's not super sexually charged. Or no, I, I can I can fix this for you, Mike. There are zero scenes where there is any chemistry between those two people. Certainly not on a romantic on a romantic level. I, know, I, like I disagree. <laughs> you would, Nathan. Scenes <laughs> where it works, and maybe it's because Candace pattern is so hot that you know that that bridges the gap for me but i don't know it, it works it, it works it's, it's been working for me all right i'm in the i'm 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 outvoted here two to one i think but it's funny yeah, I, I i would just say i don't think it's over the top like you know they're on the screen together and you gravitate towards them but for <laughs> me it works and i i it's believable especially some of the 
season two, season three, like kind of more emotional stories. And that kind of speaks to her acting ability. Yeah. And, and the the nurturing of what he was going through in those seasons, I, I think was led it to be more believable that they had a connection. I always thought, Nathan, that he had more chemistry with who is the like the 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 cute scientist girl in their office. Wow, that's crazy. There's a I always thought that they had more chemistry, and I thought that's where it was going initially. Because I, I never read the comics, so I don't I didn't know anything about it. So 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 there so there is a fandom. There is a sh a ship. I'm shipping that. There is a no. There's a sh it's already <laughs> the ship has existed since the first season. It's called Snowberry. Um, oh, well, there, yeah, of course. What else would it be called? Yeah, because her name is Caitlin Snow. Um, and there, I don't, I've never seen it, honestly, um, that chemistry. I just sort of see her as fitting the mold of the kind of character that CW generally has. What's well, weird because I feel like, and Nathan might remember some of this, there were scenes in the first season where it felt like they were sort of sitting that up and then it's like they just dropped it. Well, they it, went a totally different direction with that character. It felt like they set up a, a, a love triangle. Um, and short of, like, the, like I remember there was this one episode where they did, like, karaoke. and Yeah, did, that's the one I was thinking about. Yes, that's, that's the one. Perfect chemistry. Right, they do karaoke. She gets drunk. He takes her home. He's a perfect gentleman. Like, and she says something like, you know, like he uses super speed to, like, get her dressed for bed. And she jokes about, like, did you cop a, a peek or whatever, right? And, you know, because she's trashed out of her mind, right? And we're meant to be like, this guy's a perfect gentleman. You know, he didn't, he didn't take advantage of her when she was kind of, you know, compromised or whatever. And, and people to this day are still convinced that they should, they should have a thing. Um, even though she's had other love interests, even though, you know, Barry's married actually right now to Iris, but there are people who that's like, I, re, I used to follow a, a YouTube YouTuber. I'm, I'm, this is me copping to it on a podcast and I, I'm going to probably never live it down. This person was a hardcore shipper of those, of those people. And she would find like 10 seconds per episode on her YouTube channel and just like loop those 10 seconds of like Caitlin looking at Barry and be like, there it is, it's right here. Fox News it. <laughs> and I found it- No so, spin zone. I found it so perversely entertaining that I had to subscribe to her YouTube channel just to see her, her like clinging to the, 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 the little inkling of whatever it could be to like make there be a romance. To the point where there was an episode where you know, spoiler alert, I don't know if this happened when you were watching the show, like she becomes a villain. Um, killer. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm definitely up to all of that, yeah. So they're fighting each other and they're like fighting and grappling and she's like, I see it right there. When they're fighting, that, that, that's a love fight. <laughs> you know, so it's funny though, because there were, in the, there, there have been, I mean, I stay away from that part of Twitter, but there have been some, hardcore fights between the people who ship that ship and the people who ship the canon ship of Iris and Barry. Um, and, and a lot of it is black women who feel like this is a, a black woman, a black lead, you know, who is the love interest, 
who the the character is is doting on and wants to devote his life to and spend his life to and here it is you know this becky <laughs> you know that Honestly, Mike, just to rebut that, that's not so much my issue with it. I feel like Black women in general are people who come from a sort of more racialized perspective. The issue isn't so much that it's an interracial relationship. It's that it's an interracial relationship existing in the vacuum of a show that is not addressing the fact that race matters in this universe. And that becomes the most annoying thing for people, I think, when they're looking at this. So he's in love. There's this Becky and like people can use that and say that's where the real chemistry is. But I think for some people, it's just sort of like, how are these two people existing like this and these other issues that don't matter in this universe at all? I guess these aren't issues in this universe. It takes away from sort of some of the believability of everything that's happening. And that's probably because we're bringing extra things to the show from the society we live in that aren't necessarily there on the screen. And those things sort of affect the way we view the relationship. Yeah, and then that's what I guess where I'm at at it. Maybe I'm bringing some extra baggage to this relationship, so I'm not really feeling it because they're not addressing race head on. And I sort of prefer it when it is because I can't imagine in America you're not addressing that. No, I think that's a flaw in a lot of the CW shows that if, you know, to the extent that race is brought up, it's usually dealt with within the confines of one episode. Um, it's not something that lingers and can be a meta storyline, you know, and it might just be because they don't have the writing room, the writer's room that feels comfortable uh, delving deep into that. Oh, and just total tangent, Mike, if you want to see this dealt with well, watch the Netflix reality series Love is Blind. <laughs> and, an Dude, amazing, and an amazing Netflix. show. Yeah, isn't it crazy? But they... They address the issue head on and they talk about it a lot. And that's much more organic to me because how could you not? Mm-hmm. You're doing this in America, whatever. And it was just very interesting and enter- entertaining to me, I thought, to see people sort of actively grappling with wanting to be in this relationship and what, what that sort of means in this sort of racialized context of our society. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, Love is Blind nailed it. Crazy. Interesting. Well, par- part of that was that Love is Blind takes place in Atlanta. so you get a lot more of that as opposed uh, to if they had chosen a different city. You know, I, I don't think I even knew Love is Bama's Atlanta. I think I just assumed they were locked away in a hotel in um, LA or something. I can speak on this for an hour. That's totally uh, for a different podcast. But <laughs> I, from what I've read is Netflix specifically wanted this experiment to work out. So they, they chose cities so that when the experiment and the pods were done, they were still in the same city to where they could continue the relationship. Ah, okay. Yeah, didn't know that at all. Wow, that is very interesting. That is, by the way, other than Tiger King, probably the show, at least in my household, everybody's talked about the most in quarantine. Yeah, which is so weird. I ran through Tiger King this weekend. I'm happy I did. Um, but uh, I don't want to go too far off the tangent. So I'll- no, no, apologies. I just. <laughs> Uh, it was just a comparison between Love is Blind and The Flash, and it's weird that we got to that place, but I was just trying to find an example that I thought did it a little better by addressing A natural that. progression. <laughs> but it's funny, it's like, if, we, if you want to think about interracial relationships in comics that are canon that, that have worked, um, it's really just like Luke Cage and Jen- Jesper Jones. Right. Um, there's, some people feel like the, the, um, 
Iron Fist, what's his name? Sorry, Danny Rand, Misty Knight interracial relationship is is another one that that people hold on to, but they never they never got married and had a child the way that the way that Luke and Jessica did. Um, but that's an example of where where they I th- it's weird because they they don't talk about it a lot, but they talk about it enough to where you can't hide from the fact that Luke is black and Jessica's white. Well, Luke is center in Harlem, though. So I almost feel like sort of by definition, you don't have to talk about it blatantly because the surrounding universe is always sort of dealing with it. Maybe. But it's, it's weird because, so in, in Jessica Jones, and this is something that I've noticed, that I noticed this was a discourse around Jessica Jones as portrayed in the Netflix series versus how Jessica Jones portrayed in the comics. So I don't know if you, did you watch a Jessica Jones Netflix series? Oh, well, me, I, I, I've watched everything except for the, the, I'm saving the final season to say goodbye to the Marvel stuff. So I haven't watched the last season yet. Of Jessica Jones? Jessica Jones, yeah. Uh-huh. Everything else though. Fair enough. Um, Nathan, did you watch the first season of Jessica Jones? Yes. I, I, I think I didn't watch the last season of Daredevil and I didn't watch Iron Fist, but I watched all of Jessica Jones. Okay. So one of the things that happened in the discourse around Jessica Jones is that in the comics, he's more portrayed as a train wreck um, than someone who has kind of done bad things. Um, a lot of people felt like because in the Jessica Jones uh, Netflix show, she kills Luke Cage's wife, she's kind of ruined as a love interest for Luke Cage. That the idea that even though she was under mind control when she did it, the fact that she did that and, and it took her as long as she did to cop to what she had done means that she was gotten involved with him under false pretenses and she's just forever, um, like I said, marred as a, as a, as a love interest. And it was interesting to see the discourse, you know, and knowing that this is something that if we're sticking to canon was, was trying to be built up slowly over time, their love story, to have people who were just firmly on the stance of no way, no how, I don't care what the canon is. Jessica Jones should not be getting with Luke Cage. And then of course, you know, you had um, Rosario as an actress whose character it's kind of like not a big deal in the comics and their romance. Um, people were just like, yes, he is not going to dump Rosario Dawson, Jessica Jones. I will not stand for that. <laughs> Wait, is the Rosario Dawson character racially bent? I'd actually just, I don't know anything about that character from the comic. So the character is not, a, the character is racially bent, but the character is not really, um, a, well, no, let me think about it. Her character's name was um, Claire Temple. I believe Claire Temple is not. I believe Claire Temple was black. Um, so let's check on that. Um, but the, the character of Claire Temple was was a Luke Cage love interest, but um, was not a long-lasting one. Um, let me make sure. But... Um, 
I mean, yeah, so Killer Temple was black. Never, so, you know, I don't know if we count that as race bending or not, um, being that. Well, it depends on your perspective, right? I, I think a lot of people adopt Rosario as black. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, she was, by the time Luke Cage's story interacted with, by the time Luke Cage's story interacted with Jessica Jones' story, um, Claire Temple was nowhere n- near um, his orbit. She was kind of like from the early 80s and uh, 70s, whereas, you know, the Jessica Jones, Luke Cage thing was early 2000s. So it was really, and this is another departure from the way that the universe was built in the comics. Luke Cage, by the, Luke Cage is a, is a guy who's been being a superhero since like the 70s or however they want to play around with the timeline in comics. Like he's, he's of that era and he's been allowed to kind of grow up. So he got into, he, he got his superpowers in his 20s and then he's like in his 30s or 40s when he um, meets Jessica Jones as almost like a washed up, uh, washed up super, superhero. And it's only later when he gets involved in with Jessica that he decides, you know what, I'm going to get back into the, you know, into the fray. And, you know, as is, you know, in the meta world, his, his character became more popular. So they started using him more. But in the comics world, it was like, yeah, I've just been kind of hanging out Harlem, just kind of doing my thing, just doing little things here and there, but not, not really out there like I used to, you know, back in the heyday when it was me and Danny doing fire, you know, like it, it was, it, they, they really kind of played him more as a uh, older guy finding his, 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 his young guy groove. Um, and that's why the transition into being a family man worked for him because, you know, he's, he's, he's a young dad or, you know, a new dad kind of trying to balance his roughneck past with his now trying to be a role model for his little daughter. Um, with, the, with the way that they portrayed him in the Luke Cage TV show, the actor's already in his 40s and the actor's already kind of past his like coolness. And, you know, I think that, I think that when you're doing an origin story for a superhero who's a grown man versus a young man, there's, there are going to be some, some pitfalls in terms of the conflicts and the, the sense of, uh, do I want to do this? Do I want to step away? That somewhat affected the execution. You know, I think with Jessica Jones, because her character is meant to be a train wreck um, who's, who's, who's trying to find herself. In the comic, she's a train wreck, and Luke is, is somewhat of a... Um, stabilizing force in her life because he's more of I've been there, done that. You know, being a superhero is not all it's cracked up to be. And as he redis, you know, once, so they have a, you know, spoiler alert for the comics, they have a one night stand and she gets pregnant uh, over the course of the one night stand. And when, when he, when she tells him that she got pregnant, instead of him being like, well, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> like instead of him being like you know how she would she assumed like a guy when she had a one night stand would act instead he's like no actually I mean I think you're an awesome woman 
you know, maybe we should try to like date for real and raise this child together. And it's, and it's positioned as, you know, it's timed with her finding her sense of worth and her desire to, you know, like put all the crap that happened to her behind her. Man, too bad we didn't get Luke Cage season three. I'm sure this is where, where all that was going. I'm sure they were going to dive right into that flat line. I mean, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, um, you know, because again, they didn't, because this happened under the radar in the comics, there wasn't the same level of backlash that there had, there sometimes can be when we're talking about a TV show. You know, there were no think pieces back then about what it means for Luke Cage to uh, rescue a down on her luck white woman, you know, from her life of squalor or whatever you want to call it. You know, um, I think that there would probably be think pieces now if the storyline was played out today. Well, it's just that I don't think we want to live in a universe where things have to only be about race or only not be about race. And so if we're in this universe where, well, Black Lightning and Luke Cage, well, they're sort of about race so they can be about it, it makes a lot of the other scenarios where people are interacting in a way that should be racialized but not discussing it, it makes those relationships less organic. You just want sort of the discussions about race to be a natural outgrowth of the universe that they're existing in. Yeah. But I think that a comic creator, because they themselves are not, um, or white guys, for, for lack of a better uh, term, you know, they just want to write their their superhero stories, um, and they want to get to the to the fun part. And I get that. I mean, it's kind of like the Flash. Like you want to get to the part where the Flash is using the superpowers and throwing lightning bolts and fighting a giant gorilla. You know, like you know, no, no, no giant gorilla episodes. Those are the worst episodes of the Flash. That that intelligent gorilla. That those are awful. Oh, wow. I hate those episodes. Yeah, that, that, I hate that character. Wow. Uh, those are almost unwatchable to me. Those are the worst episodes of Flash. Oh, like, oh, there's like some sort of smart eight. That's awful. Trash. <laughs> Dumpster fire, like 2020. Awful. Uh, direct your hate mail. Eden <laughs> <laughs> at uh, gmail.com. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Um, but. No, but I think that's what it is. I think that these, I think that a lot of times the writers want to just kind of touch on it, but they still want to have their superhero stuff. And, and I think that on a, in a, in a, in a live action situation where you have actors that want to act, um, whether it's on a movie or in a Netflix series, they're perfectly okay with doing a deep dive into a character and giving them more weight. But when it's a writer who wants to, you know, they'll have a couple dramatic panels and then three pages later, uh, laser beams are flying out of people's eyes and Luke Cage's shirt is getting ripped and he's throwing a truck at somebody and it's, you know, it can be glossed over. Yeah, Watchmen has sort of convinced me that basically anything can be done if you have a mindset that you want to do it. Oh, for sure. You just have to be trying, basically, and then want to achieve that, I feel. But I, but I do wonder if... Like we're, I think we're all in the, in the mindset that we don't mind overthinking things. Um, we don't mind doing a deep dive and having um, a discussion about what the ramifications of these, of these characters are and the implications and what's not being fully, um, fully explored. 
But I, I, I think that there's also a segment that just wants the escapism and they want to turn their brain off to a limited extent. So um, a show like Watchmen might be too much for them. They, you know, they, they want the costumes. They want the Dr. Manhattan, you know, doing crazy stuff with his powers. They want Rorschach eating somebody. You know what I mean? They, and I'm, I'm trying to separate those people from the people who are just racist. And, you know, they don't want their, their uh, ethnocentric worldview shattered. Um, there are just people who, who just want escapism. I guess I, I don't understand how you can both be a fan of Watchmen, the original comic, and, and say that all I want is escapism and I don't want to have to think about anything. No. And that's people all the comic was about. No, I think that's a, that's a tough corner to be on, you know, in terms. Of, but I think when we're talking about something like Superman, for instance, you know, like if we do, like if we have like a Clark Kent that's Latino, you know, and now we're, we're, we're taking this, this um, immigrant metaphor of a, a stranger in a strange land who is adopted in, into this land and rises up and becomes this role model for, for people. I think that there are some people who would be like, yes, I would love, you know, a Latino Superman, you know, who can, can, can speak to me in a way that traditional Superman never did. And then you have other people who are like, oh man, now I got to think about uh, the world we live in. <laughs> I just want to live in this fictionalized metropolis world where none of that's important. You know, and for the most part, the people who, who think that way are white, but there are, there are non-white people who also just want to, uh, you know, be in a non-racialized world and just have to worry about the superpowers. I mean, Mike, there are people who think Black Panther is too much about race. And I'm just like, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure. Yeah, like, but is it even worth responding to? Well, I mean, it's really not. It's like... Um, okay. Uh, glad to hear that. I mean, I get that. Enjoy Shazam, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Funny, though, is like... I so I had this whole thing about Shazam. So you know, you know, you you've heard of the character of uh, uh, Black Adam, right? Oh yeah, the one The Rock is doing. Yes. So for years, the The Rock wanted to play Black Adam, and Black Adam is very related to Shazam. They come, their powers come from the same source. And for years, I was saying, well, The Rock should play Shazam, though. You know, like he's. Who wouldn't want to like turn into the rock when they say like a magic word? Like, you know, like, he could still play Black Adam if he wants, but you know, Shazam is where the money is because he's a superhero. Like the rock is a real life superhero. And all you would need to do is put the rock in a costume and say, Hey, this little kid says a magic word and he turns into the rock. Like, that's money, like for for everybody. <laughs> um, you know, Shazam didn't Shazam did okay in the box office. They greenlit a sequel, I think. I think it did well enough. Yeah, but I mean, it could have, of, of the, before Birds of Prey, it was the lowest grossing of the DC movies. But it was also coming off some bad DC movies, right? So it actually was a part of the rebuilding process more than anything else. Maybe. It was almost like a Batman Begins to The Dark Knight, I feel. 
Maybe. But DC. I, but I do think that the enthusiasm for that movie wasn't, and like you said, it could have just been the bad movies. But I think that if you would have done, if you would have had a Shazam where The Rock was playing the lead role of Shazam, I think they would have been able to overcome that. You know, I think that Zachary Levi, he did an okay job. He did a fine job, actually. But he doesn't have... villain was lame in that movie. I was actually, I thought the villain was a little weak. But I mean, overall, I thought the movie was solid. I thought it was well, well written, well performed. But I think that it had that second tier quality about it. And, and when you have a second tier quality about it, people might not show up to the level that they, they would. And I think that, you know, I, I'm, have we talked about this before? Like the story of the, of the Shazam slash Captain Marvel character. Um, oh yeah, I know the yeah, I definitely know the history, the, uh, a little bit of the history behind all that. So. And you know, I think that one of the the things that holds that character back is that he's not quite distinguished enough from Superman. So he it, he somewhat feels redundant in the overall scope of things. It's like why have Shazam when you have Superman already? And um, I think that not enough is being done um, to, to give people a reason to care about Shazam specifically as compared to Superman. All right, so backtrack, back just to go back to The Rock, as someone who doesn't know a lot about the original comics, is this character called Black Adam because he's a black guy? No. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. But, no, because he's actually Middle Eastern. He's like... Okay, yeah, I have no, I've never read this comic. He's from like... Like ancient Egyptian analog type place, whatever. Um, I think it's just black, like in a like black meaning evil deal. Um, where it's just yeah, it's just like he's a guy who's in in the same way that little Billy Batson was given the Shazam powers. Uh, he also was given the Shazam powers, but he was given it in a world where the, there were pharaohs and. And um, his people. But I thought The Rock was obsessed with playing this character. And I always assumed that had something to do with the racial identity of the character. Why is The Rock obsessed with playing an evil Middle Eastern supervillain? Well, the thing is, so the thing is, not evil, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. So he's, he's, he's more of an anti-hero, I guess, because he, he kills, but he's, somewhat justified in that sense of, look, I just want to keep my people safe. I just want to get revenge on my people's enemies. You know, you, you might want to use your Shazam powers for all this like little kid, good goody goody stuff. But look, I've had to deal with my people being attacked and my people being, you know, oppressed and enslaved. And now that they've got me, they don't have to worry about that shit anymore. You know, so he's a more complicated character. And, you know, for DC, they don't have a lot of those kind of, like I, like, I would say that the closest analog to Black Adam in Marvel is someone like Namor, you know, who is a little bit of a dick and can sometimes be a villain, but somewhat sympathetic motives. He's just willing to do horrible things to keep his people safe. But that is a racially bent character, Black Adam, essentially. It's not him playing a Black character. He's, it's a Black person. It's a biracial person playing a Middle Eastern person. Right. So that's a bend. Right. It is a bend. So he, I'm sure he, 
using his uh, the rock racial ambigu ambiguity thing, kind of like you, you remember when he played the mummy? Wow, is that like the Scorpion King? Yeah, Scorpion King, sorry. Yeah, you went way bad, Mike. <laughs> but that's the same kind of thing. Like the rock was like, you don't know what my race is, so I can play an ancient Egyptian. You know, um, I think that it's the same kind of deal where he feels like because a lot of people around the world don't really know what his background is, he can play a brown person and he's just playing a brown person. Well, they do now. They saw Hobbs and Shaw. It's like his coming out party. True. That was the most, that was the most uh, Samoan he's ever been in a movie. But still, he still hasn't been fully black in a movie yet. We're, we're waiting for that part. Um, maybe he never will. Actually, you know what? Now that I mention it, there was a rumor a few years back that he wanted to play John Henry. Huh. Well, I could see that, actually. I mean, physically, definitely. Oh, yeah, physically, definitely. But wouldn't you know what he got criticized for it because, you know, he's The Rock and not, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Check. <laughs> He's, right. he's, never, he's never been that black. Right. <laughs> he's never been a slave. <laughs> right. But um, so that you know, again, Nathan, to bring you back in on discussion, you've been really quiet. Um, you know, that's that's that does sometimes end up being one of the pitfalls of being a multiracial actor playing a character that's that's one race. Um, and I think it's more recent that people kind of look at what your true background is and they say that they're not authentic to the characters that you're playing. It's funny, like you mentioned Halle Berry, Halle Berry's biracial, but you know, I can't remember the last time Halle Berry's played a character that was canonically, like as conceived by, by the, the screenwriters, biracial. I mean, she generally plays black women. Yeah, she's embraced that, right? Like, I, I just feel like I don't get the sense that she has a problem with being identified as black. Right. Nathan, are you still with us? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Nathan is just—he's just taking in. Mike, we just everybody just dropping knowledge tonight. You know, sometimes you just sip, sipping on your drink, you just ease back. You know, it's like that in the cast. You know. That's <laughs> true. But um, yeah. Let's. So, I mean, so let's bring it into the specific drafting style. Um. Do you like I, so I talked about this on the other on the other podcast where there's a there's definitely an approach that is a little bit more aggressive if you're going to be doing racial drafting where you kind of like so there's a I don't know if we I had mentioned this before Marquis so the the, uh, the guy Sean who I had last week he runs a website uh, called the Fantasy Comics League mm -hmm. and they have a thing that they do from week to week where they score the characters based on what they do from week to week in the comics. You know, so if they uh, use their powers, um, they get points. If they show up in a comic that's, you know, not their own, they get points. If they, um, you know, defeat a bunch of people, they get points. So clearly there are characters that are going to get more exposure, that are going to be showing up in more books um, you know, separate and apart from how, how they're drafted, these are characters that are just generally more exposed. So 
there's an there's an argument that you can apply like a fantasy football style strategy to drafting where you can draft people that you know are going to score a lot of points for you. Um, and, you know, at that point, you're not drafting just based on aesthetics, you're drafting based on just pure uh, bang for your buck. Um, and that's, that's, that's an approach, that's one of the strategies that you could use as a drafter. Another strategy that you could use, particularly if you're the white team, is you could just, you could draft defensively, where you could draft characters that are already white to sort of keep them white, you know, or you can draft characters that are not white to, to flip them. Um, I think that w particularly when it comes to the multiracial uh, category, there are a few char characters out there that are already multiracial and maybe they're not depicted as such. Um, like we just happen to know that, oh yeah, their dad was white and their mother was Asian, you know, but the way you draw them, like for instance, so you know how Bruce Wayne has a has multiple Robins, right? Right. So one of his Robins, his current Robin, is his son. Did you know about that? I didn't. Yeah. So you know how you know Ra's al Ghul? Oh yeah, yeah. Who doesn't? You know, Christopher Nolan educated all of us. <laughs> well, I mean, Ra's al Ghul is supposed to be the least. He's not. He's not. Oh, well, right on topic. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He, he um, what's the guy from Taken? Uh, who? Uh, we don't speak about Liam Neeson anymore. But yeah, he's 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 uh, he's out. <laughs> so well, that's this cancel culture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we cancel Liam Neeson. He's out. Can't discuss him anymore. I, I don't make the rules. I just follow them. So. But, but yeah, so Ross Al Ghul in the comics has a daughter called Talia Al Ghul. Who was uh she was in in the Dark Knight Rises, right? Also played by a white woman because they kept it kept it one hundred with their uh, whitewashing. Um, but um, in the comics they have like a depending on who's telling the story, either drug uh, affiliated or not drug affiliated, but drug drug uh, induced liaison or uh, something less nefarious, but basically they have a, a one night stand and the the result of the one night stand is that she gets pregnant. A lot of one night stands without protection in comic book land, I'm learning <laughs> tonight. Yeah, I mean. No safe sex in the comic book universe. You would think that a man like Batman has. <laughs> Not a thing, I guess. All the precautions except for the bat condom. Right, exactly. But but yeah, so you know, a few years later, like she, you know, some some ten year old kid shows up that's been trained by the League of Assassins, and um, he's like, "You're my dad." Um, and I can't remember the overall story behind it, but basically, he decides, uh, Bruce decides that he's going to sort of uh, deprogram his son from all this assassin assassin training and trying to train him to be a Robin to get him to move over to somewhat lawful good side of things. So that's Damian Wayne. Now, because Damian Wayne is the product of a white father and a Middle Eastern mother, like he should be somewhat brown. Swarthy. 
<laughs> so to speak. Um, Term of art. Yeah, but for the most part, he's depicted as a white kid. Um, but some writers have tried a little bit, you know, to sort of lean into, uh, lean into that aspect of him and give him, give him a little bit more, um, pardon the pun, color. But yeah, I mean that that, that that's sort of what you could play with when you're when you're handling the the multiracial aspect. You know, you could say, well, this is a character that's already multiracial. You know, I, I can draft him to stay multiracial and then talk about how those multiracial aspects can be played up or not. Um, or you could just pull, pull out. So ironically, there was a, a story that's, it's already, it's not set in the mainstream universe, but there's a story that just came out uh, recently where Bruce Wayne's, where Martha, she of the, you know, dying and having the pearls and her, her name stopping Superman from killing. We got the same name. Uh, where Martha Wayne is uh, recontextualized as an Asian woman, um, a daughter of, um, of Hong Kong uh, billionaires. So, you know, she marries into the Wayne family and therefore Bruce Wayne is multiracial. You know, one could imagine a world where, where that is a strong, uh, a strong drafting play, where a lot, uh, not a lot, couldn't, not a lot could change for Bruce if he looked a certain way, despite being uh, multiracial. You know, especially if his parents are dead, we don't ever see. Um, you know, he doesn't have a, that deep of a connection to culture. He could go through life uh, with a fair amount of uh, white presenting uh, privilege and but still have that in his background so is there a scoring structure that we're using or is it just a jumping off point for so, the discussions that arise from those picks there's not a scoring structure for the draft itself. Um, once the teams once the teams have been chosen um, there is going to be a season uh, and we're, we, we're probably going to have another um, podcast or, or or discussion that happens where we go over the scoring system that he has for his for his uh his site and maybe see if we want to tweak the rules kind of like how again in fantasy football you know you have your standard style scoring and then you have certain things that people might want to institute like points per reception or bonus points for this that and the other you know I have some ideas of things that I want to institute. Um, but you know, I, I'll I'll wait until all the teams are you know have captains, and we can get down and have a summit about the scoring system. But yeah, I, I imagine there being a scoring system in place when the teams are finally are finally picked. And I you know I I've talked to Sean about having doing something where he does like a Matthew Berry style draft uh, draft grade, <laughs> you know. Only. Yeah, those always work out so well for me in fantasy football. So why exactly. not? Not who knows. D minus. Right. Who knows whether they'll work out in real life? <laughs> but it'll be something fun to talk about. Whether uh, you know, since we're doing we're doing round by round, to to have him you know assess just based on the scoring system, like who scored, who who had the was the projected highest score of the of the previous round. 
You're going to have to give me a lot of homework to read up on to be able to do this effectively, Mike. Well, I mean, listen, you, you don't necessarily have to be a drafter. You can just be, like me, part of the peanut gallery. You know? Oh, well, I can do peanut gallery. As I'm sure Nathan has found out, I can be a peanut, definitely. But Nathan, I was trying to get you to chime in on maybe a little say on, on what your uh, drafting strategy would be. I, I don't really have a strategy. Just, just wing it, oh. you know, and uh, find, you know, <laughs> go through and basically you, my drafting strategy, no matter what draft it is, if it's fantasy, whatever, is react to what's going on and who else is drafting. Like, you know, let's just say I'm position six. Mm -hmm. I'll see what the trends are because I might identify somebody who, I can pick up in the later round. Ah, okay. I got it. I got it. So, so, so it's very much, you know, in the moment to evaluate and see where things are going. Now, the interesting thing being the multiracial representative is drafting someone without necessarily picking their race, what part of races they're going to be and doing that later because as you know i mean just the rounds it's tough to you know you know being a representative for this the black rep, uh delegation you automatically know everybody that you're drafting is going to be black for the multiracial draft you it's it's tough to really do that except for in the moment oh, okay so and, and, i i would have thought that you would have had some people scouted out you know, in your mind, like one thing that I, one idea that I had, and you know, feel free to do this, is uh, is Blade. You know, Blade could be biracial, like he could be black and Asian. You know, like he generally uses a lot of martial arts. You know, who he who knows? Maybe he spent some years training and picking up all these martial arts techniques because you know. Oh wait, I, I didn't know this was a scriptive. What do you mean? Well, I, I thought it was you had to be born Asian, not just like you sort of choose it because you train a lot. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that part <laughs> of why Blade could have chosen that aesthetic is that he may have he could have it in his background. Oh, so his background is unknown. You're saying well, I'm he, not. Yeah. In the comics, he's just black. Okay. In the comics, he's a black guy who got bitten by a, well, whose mother got bitten by a vampire, and then you know his mother dies. And he's just, you know, triepsed around the world. And he's mentored by a black guy, actually, um, who teaches him all the ways of, of, of killing vampires. But, but what I'm saying is a scriptive race where you sort of just choose yourself because you like the characteristics, you just turn Blade into like that Rachel Dolezal, Dolezal chick, essentially, <laughs> if he doesn't actually know his parentage essentially but he does like this likes martial arts so he can be multiracial that's the same sort of thing right like oh i like curly hair or something no no no. but i'm i'm what i'm saying i'm saying the opposite of that i'm saying that we know that there are characteristics that people think of with blade that you know that he even though he has like a certain kind of black aesthetic in terms of how he dresses and his coolness but he also has a lot of martial arts and uh, Asian aesthetics. And it's never really been explained 
as to why he has those aesthetics. But I guess my question is, if his known parentage is black, are you saying he could be drafted multiracially? Yes. The power of the racial draft is that you can decide that that Blade, when you snap your fingers, like, for instance, Blade could just be drafted on an Asian, on the Asian side, and you snap your fingers and Blade is- Wait, like, can I draft Blade white? Uh, as if you were on the white team, you theoretically could. Um, and oh, I'm just, so, these rules are going to taste some explaining <laughs> for me. <laughs> you were, like, that's the, really, like, the, the white team is, is, is on the spot. Like, they could go full offensive. They could go full heel. And they could just take all of our like high high powered uh, people of color and yeah, Black Panther could. Yeah, they could have White Panther finally. <laughs> this is gonna be very stressful. <laughs> As a black people, you got to think about like, are you gonna leave? You're gonna leave Black Panther out there to be drafted by, you know, drafted by another race. Well, no, but that that feels like a weird incentive now to only for everyone to just draft the most powered characters from the beginning. Then, right? So everybody would just start with Superman and work their way down. I mean, I will say, I will say, we we went through this exercise a few years ago, just out of fun. And uh, Superman and Batman, I think they were the first two taken. Uh, I believe uh, Magneto was also a first round choice. So, uh, I mean, just. You know, in this process of just snapping your fingers and reimagining characters, you know, obviously Superman and Batman, those A-level characters kind of would be at the top. But for me, and I'm sure some of the other people who will be drafting, there's also a chance to look at some of the more interesting characters and reimagine them early, even though maybe you can draft them in the later rounds, but, you know, snap snag them early so they're on your team because I mean I think I don't think I'm really saying anything groundbreaking but even though Superman is you know the apex of superheroes he's the most boring <laughs> so and, you know, and that somewhat ties in like you want you you do want people to like your team right like so you know you want you want to have no I want them to respect my team Mike they don't have to like it <laughs> like Superman doesn't honestly he doesn't pop up in that many books in part because you know he's like like Nathan said he's, he's kind of boring you know like a character like Deadpool pops up everywhere um, and you know I don't really know what would change about Deadpool if he was a different race so he's he's up for grabs you know he, uh, uh, Peter Parker is an interesting character is an interesting character. We've all seen Spider-Verse. Um I think season two greenlit. Uh the sequel greenlit, not season two. That's the alcohol talk. <laughs> like, you know, I don't I don't think that there's anything inherent to Peter Parker that makes him have to be white. Um I think that I think that he could he could probably play around in a lot of different racial waters. And that's a guy that's everywhere, you know, but I would hope that as the, well, I am the host. So as the host, one of the things that I tease out is, is if you do draft a character, you know, let's talk a little bit about what would change if you did draft that character as a different race and some of the pitfalls and some of the aspects of the canon that would be 
slightly different. Some of maybe how the villains would look at them, <laughs> would look at them differently, you know. So yeah, it's 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 all you know, one of the. You're, again, you're not on Twitter, but the hashtag that I always use is "All things are possible with a racial draft." You know, so you can you can draft whoever you want for whatever race you want, but I would hope that it's an interesting, it's a more interesting character once that character is drafted. And I'd like for if you're on the show or if you're in the chat and you're talking about the the draft that you can explain what, what would make that character better, um, and you're not just drafting as a troll. Well, I love being peanut gallery. So it, it's way easier to criticize other things that people have done than to create things yourself. So that's an exciting opportunity to me. That is, that is I'm hoping, I, like, I, I fully on springing all these draft picks on you and getting <laughs> your first response. Once we start getting to the drafting, to see what your first take on these characters are. Trash, 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 trash. Also trash. Well, Nathan, not to put you on the spot, and remember, this is not a this is not binding in any way. Um, would you like to just throw out a character that you would uh that you that you might have your eye on for drafting? Yeah, I can't say that there's one I have an eye on specifically. You know, I definitely for the early rounds, I would definitely lean towards the more known characters just for the name value. You know, you definitely get a lot more out of that. But it, it'll take some res research, uh, get, maybe getting a short list, and then, you know, just kind of playing it by ear. But for the discussion purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Marky, when I had Marky on a couple of weeks ago, he threw out Wolverine um, because he said, you know, he's already an angry guy and, uh, you know, making... He's descriptively black. <laughs> like, like making Wolverine an angry black man. <laughs> Not that much of a leap. Well, as a short black man, you know, <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's right there. It's, 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 so it'd be it'd be the same that it'd be something in that in that realm, you know, just to just to give us something to, to, to sort of play around with. Well, I mean, should it happen, and I would were to draft Captain America, Ooh. you know, I I can't say exactly the split but one half just for my own personal i don't know if i would say amusement but just you know kind of sticking it to the man and he is captain america i would make him native american nice oh i see what you did there nathan yeah yeah I, they, okay i like it i like it I, yeah you know um he you know he would probably still have you still have to have like the main Captain American origin. So there might be these aspects of like, how do we feel about, you know, exposing, exposing a Native American culture serum, you know, but, he, but he's fighting Nazis and that's, and Nazis would hate, you know, having to battle a brown, you know, or, you know, non-white, white person. I, I got it. Like I, I had, I had imagined actually uh, Bucky as a Native American. That was a, a thing that, you know, and in fact, when I talked to Sean about it last week, um, he mentioned that there are certain symbol there's certain symbology to the winter, you know, how Bucky becomes the winter soldier. And, um, you know, winter has deeper meaning in, in First Nation circles, as far as like phases of, of a person's life. 
you know, so the idea of a Native American Bucky becoming a winter soldier, uh, you know, in, in addition to the aesthetics of it, could, you know, there might be some, some stuff there in, in the stories. And you know, if, we're being, if we're being honest in terms of how, like, you know, since Captain America was such a, a propaganda figure in early days, like having the, the, the white Captain America and then having his sidekick be Native American, does seem like the kind of thing that our America would do. <laughs> For drafting purposes, and like I said, with him being half Native American, you know, you also look at some of the stories that have been told, you know, just, you know, in the MCU, how they have uh, transformed, you know, and Captain America breaks away from the U.S. government. Sure. I mean, that would, that would look, he, he would have even more incentive to do that and would open up new storytelling, you know, as far as like after you get past the Nazis and such when you bring it to modern day I think there's a lot of story opportunities there with how he would protect and defend the rights of indigenous people that is a really good point I certainly love the idea of recontextualizing that character as a Native American well as I just a, think it's, yeah, yeah. Remember, this is the multiracial too so and, and I think that there is also an aspect of that where could, if he was multiracial and if he was part white he would probably be able to pass, and that would would give him additional uh, layers, because in the '40s, where he's passing, um, you know, he's probably privy to all types of different racism, where they think that he's just the white guy, and then you know when he comes out of the ice and he sees how how things have changed in society, he might feel a greater responsibility to to be out there with his identity in a way that he wasn't in the, in the 1930s and 40s. I dig it. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. It's what, we're, it's what we're about here, right? Like, it just makes sense to me. Because one of my concerns has always been race in America, especially being a Black person from the South, is this sort of bipolar perspective. Everything is Black and white, but it's not quite like that. There's a lot of race in the mix that is way, way deeper and more complex than just Black people and white people. Right. So, and I think that's a you know, Marky, you're going to bring it in, bring it in full circle, and bring it home. That's why I made the big bucks. That I. <laughs> um, so Nathan, you have any uh, parting words for the for the gang, for the listeners out there? Anything you want to plug? No, nothing to plug. Just uh, excited to research some potential draftees. You know. Most will be well thought out. A few, I'm sure, will happen in the moment just to uh, play spoiler or or block, you know, center square for the block. Keep your hands off Black Panther. Beach <laughs> <Age> Panther. <laughs> I don't think I could I could do that in, in good faith, so I think he's safe from the... This dude just said you could draft Blade, man. He just said you could draft Blade. You can do anything in this draft. <laughs> Black Panther might be safe for, from my delegation. I don't know about anybody else's. Nice. So, uh, so that's been the Racial Drive podcast, guys. Hopefully uh, we entertained you for a couple hours. Uh, I still haven't figured out a, a sign-off, but until next time, uh, all things are possible. Stay safe, guys. And all right. 
Woo! <laughs>